Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Excuse me. Welcome back, folks. More than 80% of U.S. colleges and universities do not require applicants to take standardized tests like the SAT or the ACT. And that proportion of institutions with test-optional policies has actually more than doubled since the spring of 2020. And for the fall of 2023, some 85 institutions won't even consider standardized test scores when reviewing applications. And in fact, the entire University of California system does not look at that at all. And they won't allow you to submit those scores uh, during the application process. Joining us is Mike Petrelli, president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute and visiting fellow of the Hoover Institution. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be back. Mike, there was a great, an interesting article, I should say, entitled The Misguided War on the SAT in the New York Times by David Leonard. Uh, he says that colleges have fled standardized tests on a theory that they, hate, they hurt diversity. But there's some recent research from a number of different sources that kind of show otherwise. Um, your thoughts on this whole happenstance of just the, this elimination of objective uh, scores? Yeah. Well, look, uh, pretty obvious that this is happening because of the Supreme Court's decision around affirmative action, saying that colleges cannot uh, consider race when they're uh, considering applicants uh, because they found that Harvard, among others, has discriminated against students, especially discriminating against Asian students in favor of black students and even white students, uh, because it was clear that Asian students had to score a much higher score on the SAT or ACT in order to get admitted. So, uh, you know, universities looked at this and not wanting really to end their affirmative action programs, they said, well, then the best way to do that is just to stop asking for the scores. And then nobody will be able to prove that we're discriminating against particular students. Uh, there's a lot of things that are wrong with that. I mean, first of all, the, the basic arguments against affirmative action to begin with and, and judging people on the basis of their race, right? Uh, yeah. But even beyond that, uh, what some of these recent studies have, have come out and shown that you referenced is that test scores, lo and behold, are really good predictors of how students will perform in college. And, uh, you know, it used to be that the combination of test scores and grades was a really good predictor. The problem is we've had so much grade inflation in our high schools recently that grades are increasingly useless. Almost all of the top students just get A's across the board, so you can't differentiate amongst them. 
Test scores, though, still do differentiate. And, you know, if a, if a college lets in a student without a test score, uh, just based on their grades, uh, they're taking a big chance that that student isn't actually going to be well prepared to succeed there. And the interesting thing is um, about admission to these schools. I mean, I get it. It, it, it. That's important. But don't you really want to know the likelihood of success? I mean, what good does it do if they if they go in and they can't get out? Yeah, no, that's exactly that's exactly right. I mean, all the benefits to college only go to people who graduate from college, and that's the case for these selective universities as well. So where does this go from here? Because it seems as though, you know, we've attacked the SAT, we've attacked the ACT. Uh, interesting in this article, they pointed out that when they looked at the disparity, uh, they compared results of ACT and, and SAT to the NAEP uh Mm-hmm. test that's given in high school and what they found is that the results the the gaps were pretty much the mirror image of one another and mm-hmm. the, and the whole thought process was no one's really preparing for the NAEP you know test in high right. school like you can and those that are have means um, you know, can hire people to train them to take the ACT, the SAT, and otherwise. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's another part of the argument that's used that, you know, if there's an economic barrier that you're not on the same footing as others. But what they're finding is, is the outcomes are the, mm-hmm. almost the mirror image of one another. Yeah, yeah. Look, if we really want to solve this problem, we have to start way sooner, way sooner than when kids are applying to college. we got to start in kindergarten. We've got to attack the achievement gap head on, you know, which is this gap in test scores that you find uh, on any test that you use between these various racial groups, which is mostly related to uh, the differences in, in what researchers would say is socio- socioeconomic status. In other words, way more black students and Hispanic students, but especially black students, are growing up in poverty in this country, even in deep poverty. And we know that kids growing up in poverty don't end up doing as well in school or on these standardized tests. Now, we can work on trying to address those root causes of poverty, which we should, but we can also make sure that our schools, starting in kindergarten, are doing everything they can to help sure every kid achieves their full academic potential. And the good news is that when that happens, and and look, it's happening a lot in New Orleans and some of those fantastic charter schools that you have there, uh, when that happens, lo and behold, that achievement gap starts to starts to narrow. You start to see black students and Hispanic students and poor kids start to do much better than they otherwise would. It doesn't solve the problem entirely, but that is how you fix it. And and you also need to be on the lookout for kids, again, black, Hispanic, low-income, working-class kids who show up in school, and despite the disadvantages they may face, uh, turns out they've got lots of, lots of horsepower uh, in terms of academics, and we got to make sure we nurture that talent, give them access to gifted and talented programs, give them access to advanced courses in middle school and in high school, advanced placement, uh, maybe even dual enrollment where they get to start uh, college early. You do those sorts of things, and you don't have to play these games with college admissions because you've got a diverse pipeline of kids coming in in the first place. Yeah. But back to the efficacy of the ACT and the SAT, there was something that was very interesting, and and I'll just quote from the article. It says, some people Mm -hmm. have worried that the SAT scores are merely a proxy for income or race, but the Mm -hmm. data should alleviate this concern because when they looked within every racial group, 
students mm-hmm. with higher scores did better in college. And yep. the same yep. is true among poor students, you know, from an economic standpoint, from a racial standpoint, from an ethnic standpoint. Mm-hmm. If you compare all those within those subgroups, the ones with higher scores on the ACT and SAT mm-hmm. did better in college and succeeded right. at a greater rate right. in college. Right. And, and of course, I mean, none of this should be surprising. I mean, when you go to college, a lot of how you perform is going to be based on your skills around reading and writing and mathematics, the kinds of things that you test with the SAT or the ACT. And so you've got young people who show up on campus and, and they have really weak skills in those in those areas. They are going to struggle. Now, some of them, you know, if they, if they put in lots of work and effort and perseverance and grit, you know, some of them will be able to power through and make it. Uh, but you know, a lot of cases, we're just setting up young people to fail uh, because we end up admitting them to colleges where their peers are much better prepared than they are. Uh, and you know, that's not good for them. That's, that's not good for anybody. Uh, what we need to do is to acknowledge that these tests, they're, they're the messengers. We're shooting the messengers instead of dealing with the fundamental problem, which is that we got a lot of people coming out of high school who don't have those high-level reading, writing, math skills, uh, higher-order thinking skills that they need in order to be successful in college. A lot of this new debate seems to uh, was an outgrowth, I think, of um, a change in policy at MIT, right? I mean, MIT right. went mm-hmm. two years without ACT and SAT scores in the midst of the pandemic, uh, and they, they began to notice a trend that a lot of their students just weren't making it. You know, they looked yeah. at high school scores. They looked at other outside social activities, uh, giving back to your community, a lot of, a lot of good things. But mm-hmm. obviously they realize we're not really fulfilling our mission if I'm bringing kids in and I'm, and I'm having so many have to leave us because they just can't cut the mm-hmm. mustard. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, a place like MIT, where, of course, math skills in particular are super important. I mean, you've got to have people who have come in and, you know, taken calculus, you know, and and done well at calculus. That's a small group of people uh, who have been able to do that. And and again, how do you find that out? Well, you know, standardized tests are one way to do that. Uh, And so MIT has gone back to this. Some of the other elite schools are starting to go back because they're saying, you know what? Uh, we need to get back to having uh, cohorts of kids who are ready to succeed. Uh, and it's also the case that the tests help them identify black and Hispanic and low income and working class kids uh, who they would otherwise overlook, but who pop up as showing great progress and great promise. You know, the problem is in, in most cases, it's the same, you know, very affluent suburban high schools or elite private schools that send most of these kids to these elite colleges. If you go to a school that's in the inner city or in some, you know, small rural parish, uh, you know, it never sends a kid to these schools. You get overlooked. But a high test score, you score a 1550 on the SAT, that is going to get these schools' attention. And that's what a lot of them are saying is we need to get back to using these tests in part as, as a way to identify, to find talent especially, you know, from these communities where, where we often overlook them. When we look at acceptance rates, uh, you know, for nationwide, I say it's close to 70%. Some, uh, I think the California system is saying that 
really what we ought to be focused on is really more about social mobility as opposed to excellence. Um, I mean, it, is, is, is our system really designed to do that? I mean, do we have the capacity mm-hmm. of, of – there are a lot of folks that try to get into college and just don't get in. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, that, that's right. I, I, that's right. I mean, are we are we structured to just adopt this? You know, we, we have this um, this moral obligation to create an environment and an atmosphere uh, to provide social mobility as opposed to yeah. going out there and looking for the best and the brightest. Yeah, look, I, I will say this. No, I, I am motivated by the idea that we need more social mobility in this country. We, we want it to be the case that a kid who grows up in a poor family, working class community, that they have a shot at the middle class and above. I mean, that's a big part of the way we view ourselves as Americans, right? And college is part of that. I mean, there's no doubt that if you get into college and you graduate, especially at a selective college, you are almost guaranteed to land in the middle class, if not the upper middle class. Uh, The thing is, that's not the only route to upper mobility, thankfully. You know, entrepreneurship is another great route. Uh, great high-quality career and technical education and going into the trades is another great route. So we've put too many of our eggs in this one college basket. Now, at the same time, you know, college can be a great mechanism for kids who are ready for it, but it's not going to be a great mechanism for kids coming out of high school with very low-level skills. Yeah. It's going to be interesting where, where this works out because one of the uh, participants, contributors to this article said when he talks to University of uh, folks, they you know they're saying that it's just not politically correct right now to go back to SAT and ACT scores. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah, a very that's troubling a and politics. dangerous it's, answer. It's Absolutely, yeah, politi- politics for sure. As always, we always appreciate your time, your insight, Mike Petrelli. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks. All righty. We'll be right back, folks. That's Mike Petrelli, president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute and visiting fellow at the Hoover Institution. Stay with us. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.